there is a big piece of the puzzle about why you are a pleaser and a perfectionist. It has to do with your parents, your caregivers, those influential adults who shaped you and taught you how to be in relationships with people. What if those people weren't as adult-like as they needed to be? And what if we, as kids, ended up being less kid-like and more caregiver-like to them than they were to us? Well, this is the piece of the puzzle that I'm going to talk about today. When you grew up with emotionally immature parents and how that creates the quintessential pleaser and perfectionistic personality. By the way, when I was writing out this intro and I typed quintessential, I spelled it right the first time. (laughs) I just wanted to let y'all know that. That was a little win for me. Okay, let's get into why the emotional maturity level of our parents matters so much. Ready for this? Let's go. Hey, it's Vicki Smith. Welcome to Power to the Pleasers podcast. Want to start doing things on your terms and finally feel confident just being yourself in relationships? Well, you've landed in the right place. Here we break down your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns so you can move from being polite and doing it right to showing up, speaking up, and even laughing it up with people. Not sure it's possible? Well, stick around, friend. I'll show you how. hey, what's up? I'm going to dive in. I'm just not going to do any little preamble um, (laughs) because I've realized that with this topic, emotionally immature parents, it is loaded. It's just, there's so much here that I want to share with you all. And it's become kind of a masterclass. And so I broke it up into three episodes and I want to just run down what those three episodes are going to be. And then we're just going to get into episode one, right? So today... I want to share with you that emotional immaturity exists even in adults. Um, And I want to help you understand the reasons why you chose pleasing and perfectionism. I want to help those be explainable, understandable, and even maybe make you feel a little justified (laughs) in in using these strategies to get through. And uh, also give you a chance to let yourself off the hook because there is not something uniquely wrong with you when it comes to interacting with emotionally immature people. Uh, Episode two is going to be, now that you're aware that this thing exists, how do you interact with people that are emotionally immature? And I'm going to drop in some scripts for you um, to help you get started. Episode three is how you get back to yourself. And we're going to have some guiding questions um, that I feel like are super important to help you um, talk out loud to someone, write it, just kind of get it out of your mind and start helping yourself reclaim you. Um, And by the way, episode three and that particular area is where I love hanging out with people. It's what I do with my clients is helping them get back to themselves. So um, that's the layout of episode one, two, and three. And just to give credit where credit is due, I am using the work of Lindsay Gibson. She wrote um, the book that I consider the the end-all be-all of emotionally immature parents. Um, I think that's the name of the title. I should probably know that. I will put it in the show notes, obviously. And uh, you're going to want to check her stuff out. But for the time being, 
just let this series be kind of a hearty meal that I present for you and stuff that you can work on from now until you die <laughs> because there's so much here, y'all. I don't know. I just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know that reading this book years ago and then I just put it back on my shelf. I don't, I don't know why I wasn't ready to really embrace it, even though it was so eye-opening to me and so validating to me that when I knew I wanted to talk about this, I wanted to talk about this last year. But there was no, there, I didn't have the bandwidth to open that book up again and to be like, okay, look, like you, you really need to just stop reacting to your experience with this and start um, pulling out the nuggets here and sharing them with people because it's it's worth that. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be really helpful for you. And okay, granted, not every people pleaser and perfectionist has experience with an emotionally immature caregiver or parent, but I don't know. I would I would venture to say that a good percentage of us do. So <laughs> before I go into all the stuff about emotionally immature parents, I just want to say I am not here to blame our parents for everything. I spent way too much time being angry that I didn't get what I needed as a kid. And I thankfully am past that. Um, and I just wish for you the freedom to put the blame down and just take this information in as a way of validating your experience. And then beginning to work on unburdening yourself from these outdated survival strategies. So since this first episode is laying the backstory, giving examples, um, really painting a picture of what life is like growing up with emotionally immature parents, it can feel a bit serious. And if this is new stuff for you, it can kind of be like, shit, oh my God, this is me. And I, I don't want that to feel heavy. I'm, I'm, my intention is to give you something to allow you to let your eyes spring open and to bring some awareness to your situation. So I consciously created a list of truths, like big T truths. And um, these are truths about how you can live your life outside of the narrow focus of fear, obligation, and guilt, which... I touch on in this episode, but I also feel like the fog for your obligation and guilt is just really the the core hurdles that us pleasers and perfectionists get tripped up by. And um, so yeah, stay with me until the end when I kind of get on my soapbox and use my outside voice to share the truths list. And I'm going to put it in a separate document in the show notes because I don't know, you might want to go old school with it and print it out and put it somewhere where you can remind yourself of it over and over again. Um, I'm probably going to do that. <laughs> so onward and upward, friends. Let's get into this. Okay. Emotional immaturity is one of those things that kind of feels mean to say about somebody, but at the same time, there are a lot of us who grew up with parents who unfortunately were not emotionally primed to help us um, use the parental relationship as like a safe laboratory to explore and experiment with life. And I give my parents a big break for being so opposite of who their parents were. I mean, I think they made valiant efforts to be as stable as possible for me and my siblings. And 
yet, you know, each of us is as an individual over here. Um, and there was just still something that I needed that I didn't get, which happens, right? Um, everybody can't check off every box for what um, a kid and a little sensitive soul needs. And for me, that thing was kind of important. That was um, that was left out. And I think it's been the impetus for me searching for for this and relationships, friendships, just, you know, it's been my core. And so what was skipped over was emotional connection. And that emotional connection allows for safety in a relationship, safety to feel what you feel and the safety that your your family unit, your parents, your caregivers allow for you to work things through, okay? Um, Because feelings are clunky, feelings are messy, and so there needs to be safety to actually have them, feel them, and then have somebody guide you through. It's kind of like a safe emotional playground to figure out who you are, how you want to be in the world. Um, And so... My parents, you know, they covered the major basis, right? But this extra thing, it just didn't get attended to. And um, and, and then that's unfortunate. Um, You know, I'm a Gen Xer. So, you know, growing up in the 80s, way different than growing up when my parents grew up. My parents had me late um, for, uh, for a parent back then. My mom was 32 and she had me. So that does not seem late at all these days. But there was a just a big generational difference between my parents and me. And um, even though they offered that stability, the, those basics just didn't cut it. Um, and, you know, most of what I recall about living with emotionally immature parents and what I use to talk about in this episode is from my teenage and my young adult years, So when I am talking about these dynamics between between people, I'm not talking necessarily about you being a kid and your parent being the adult. I am going to be focusing on when you are able to have opinions and start exerting your independence and things like that. And that's around the teenage and young adult years. So I just want to throw that in as well. And I ask you to reflect on those years as I lay this out for you. So how do you know if you were raised by emotionally immature parents? Um, And that it wasn't just your experience with um, not getting emotional connection or having that emotionally safe playground to explore. Well, there's a couple of of, uh, personality types that emotionally immature parents can fall into that um, these categories might be kind of a nice broad way of you determining if your parents fit into this. They are intensely emotional people, um, having big feelings that they honestly couldn't manage on their own. So being reactive, blowing up, um, and uh, kind of surprising you with the 
intensity of their emotional reaction to something that maybe didn't seem like it really necessitated that much reactivity. (laughs) Um, Kind of a shock to your system sometimes. And then this interesting experience of wondering why everyone else is not understanding how they feel and helping them through their feelings, right? So couldn't manage their own emotional experiences. That's one. Um, Another is intensity in their actions and in their work and their job. Um, Overachieving, using busyness or workaholism to kind of funnel that insecurity and anxiety and um, also hoping that their superiors, their bosses, their, you know, coworkers recognize them and give them the accolades or the um, the raises, the whatever that allows them to to know, like, I'm doing a good job, right? That intensity in their actions and their work can create a tension in the house where there's not a of, there's not relaxation there's not a lot of downtime expectations are high of people in the family um, they want things to be productive they they just don't want a lot of bumps in the road right because bumps in the road create emotion and they don't manage their emotion very well So their intensity and their actions and their work and trying to be overachieving is a way to kind of control that, you know, the external world. They're self-centered, expecting and needing the family to actually cater to their needs and make them the center of the family. Um, They can be rejecting of other people's needs um, and often confused and angry if others have needs that become a priority. Like if you were a teenager and you struggled with something and your family sort of had to really pay attention to what was going on with you, like your needs took precedent, that might have been difficult for an emotionally immature parent to have that shift of focus to to someone else. Um, And then this last category or personality type of passivity being inactive, um, this can kind of seem odd based on those first three, but I see this as most likely the other parent in the relationship, you know, the the parent that kind of takes the back seat to the parent who needs all the attention. This passive parent might not really step up very much. It might, they might not demonstrate boundaries when that self-centered parent is dominating and hurtful, right? They might not step up and sort of say, hey, this isn't okay. Like just, you know, it's okay. Just chill out, take a break or whatever. Um, they, They won't do that. So they are inactive and passive. So those are the four different categories. Um, now what types of relationships develop when your parent is like this? And what is it like to live with a parent who acts like this? So it's easy to see how we are set up to be pleasing and perfect in relationships when your emotionally immature parent demands and expects the attention to be focused on their interest and their needs. And so here's what it's like to have an emotionally immature parent. Interactions can feel one-sided with them as the main focus. Um, 
they might have a tendency to monopolize a conversation. And they um, might kind of have monologues <laughs> where you don't really feel like... Um, there's no really back and forth sharing of ideas or listening <laughs> to each other with interest and curiosity. Um, there is sort of holding court. Um, so interactions are one-sided. They might actually um, dismiss what you're saying if you do get a word in edgewise. Um, they could make fun of or belittle what you feel like is important or your needs. They might talk over you. Or they could even just not answer you back, like kind of ignore you <laughs> if you say something. You don't get any anything back from them. So that's how they will kind of dominate an interaction. They will keep an interaction focused on them. In light of that, you being you, you showing up as your unique personality and self is often not well accepted. The individual that you naturally are with your differing interests and skills and desires, that bumps up against how they need you to be, which is tuned into their needs. So if you move away from something that they feel is important, you know, you're forming your own opinion about it, that can feel threatening. An emotionally immature parent would just love for you to think and act like they do so that there's really no differences to contend with and there's no conflict. Like they're not going to have a big feeling because again, they're not sure how to manage their own feelings. So the developmental stages that we go through to individuate and become who we are, um, differentiate ourselves slightly from the family are really not okay to them. Because you being a separate person feels like abandonment to them. Um, it feels like betrayal. It feels like they haven't done a good job or that you don't love them. It's a, it's a kind of an extreme way of living as far as connecting goes. But they aren't really mature enough to talk about what they're going through talk about their disappointment or their worry. So they just tend to condemn or shame you for having your personal preferences. And they criticize you in order to try to kind of move you back on track, <laughs> the track that they feel like is safe and secure for them. But as a parent who is supposed to be teaching us about how to make our way in the world, you know, how to make decisions and treat other people respectfully, all that kind of stuff, it is confusing and frustrating to us as kids, teens, young adults to have to shut ourselves off and turn our full emotional supportive attention to them. Um, that really isn't our job as a young person. They're, quote unquote, supposed to be attuned to us and helping guide us through things. So we can get pretty fussy about this as teenagers and young adults, but there really isn't room in the relationship to push back. And if we do, as teenagers are meant to do, there will be huge conflict, big emotional reactions from our emotionally immature parents. They want us back in line. So you can see now 
that we are, the seeds are being planted here that if you have an opinion, a preference, a boundary, a limit, um, a differing opinion about something, that that can set off an intense reaction in your emotionally immature parent. And you can see how that would lead us to feel like setting a boundary is hurtful to another person. And it causes too much conflict in the relationship. So we just avoid it. You can see how we would begin apologizing for our personality if it sets off an intense emotional reaction in our parent. You can see how we would continually wonder if we did something wrong and how to make it right when our emotionally immature parent is upset and shaming us. You can see how all of these things are starting to create the survival strategy of people-pleasing and perfectionism. These lay the groundwork for how our self-doubt takes root, how the strategy of staying quiet and acquiescing begins, how our inner critic begins to chime in and correct us preemptively from being selfish or bratty so that we don't upset the other person, how our relationships start to feel like hard emotional work and how we just begin to expect very little from people outside of our family as well, how monitoring other people's moods becomes second nature to us, and how it's just easier to tune out what our personal signals are because I might as well, right? Like I'm going to have a whole bunch of internal conflict if I continue to listen to my personal signals and yet I can't express myself or be my individual self because I'm going to upset another person. So I'm just going to turn my signals down. That seems like a smart move to decrease the internal conflict and the external conflict, but I think we all know that comes to bite us in the butt. Now, I mentioned fear, obligation, and guilt earlier, and I want to lightly touch on how they become our skewed guiding principles as pleasers and perfectionists and how they make us lose ourselves in relationships. Our emotionally immature parent kind of trained us using fear, obligation, and guilt. When we fear something or someone because they have that intense, sharp energy, we usually avoid or give in to the thing or the person so that we can just try to neutralize that, drop that tension so we can make that spike of discomfort of fear in us go away. So that's just what any human being would do, right? Reacting to something fearful. But with an emotionally immature parent, reacting looks like being small, accommodating, apologizing, basically fawning. So our reactivity to that is our way of bringing everything down and controlling the fear, right? But you start to see again that we are being shaped by fear and how we are being smart about it and helping our own internal world feel a little bit more in control is we just take the back seat. Like, go ahead, go ahead, be the center of attention. It's fine. Get what you want. I'll do what you say. Uh, you know, it's fine. I don't, I don't want to feel this. I don't want you to feel it. All of this is too much. So we get small, accommodating, and apologizing. 
how we are shaped by guilt is, let me just say this, guilt is a corrective emotion, okay? It's a natural human response that should motivate us to look at our behavior and adjust it next time. But how we are shaped by guilt with a emotionally immature parent is we have prolonged shameful messages about ourselves that we're selfish, we're not loyal, we don't sacrifice enough. If you ever wonder where like that not enough feeling is that like every single human being has, but if you ever wonder (laughs) where some of us people pleasers and perfectionists came to believe that we are not enough, this is it. (laughs) Right? Like this is, this is part of it. But while guilt is meant to bring us back in line with how our emotionally immature parent wants us to be, those guilt messages just corrode our self-esteem and they just make us live on this hair trigger for being shamed in the future, right? Uh, we, We just, we absolutely try to avoid feeling shame in the future. So think about what shame feels like to you. Like to me, it feels just like this gut ache, like this kind of weird, sick, lingering, exposing, want to curl up and hide feeling, right? I don't want that. Nobody wants that. So I'm going to act accordingly to try to control that 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 doesn't happen to me. Um, Fawning is is a great way for me to do that. Uh, Again, apologize, um, hide who I am, acquiesce, um, you do all those things to, just to decrease the tension, right? Because I don't want any attention on me because it could be uh, shame criticizing attention. So while fawning is a pretty smart move, it sticks as a strategy, like a life strategy, and it becomes our way of being in relationships, not just with our emotionally immature parent. And that's where that's, mm -mm, we can't, we can't live like that. Like, that's not what we're supposed to be worried about all the time when we're involved with other people. Obligation. Um, This is misplaced responsibility, (laughs) y'all. Like, obligation is, I feel like I am supposed to do this thing. Um, It's actually on me to do it. And I'm, I'm a little bit itchy scratchy about it, right? Now, we're taught to be more responsible than we need to be with an emotionally immature parent. We're conditioned to believe that what we did or didn't do caused their emotional reactivity. So we start to develop a long shoulds list, right, to stay on top of what we need to do to take care of and make the relationship with the emotionally immature parent smoother. So is this stuff making sense that you know, pleasers and perfectionists, we experience a lot of fear, obligation, and guilt, and that it ends up clouding our relationships. It makes sense how the root of our survival strategies begin, the survival strategies being pleasing and perfectionism. But do not despair, friends. (laughs) I want to now uh, share some truth, truths with you on this truth list. Um, so that you can end this episode knowing that there is a way out, right? This is, I'm going to say just in quotes, this is just an outdated 
survival strategy. That's very much discounting how vital it was for you to create people-pleasing and perfectionism to stay in relationship with your emotionally immature parent. I don't mean it to be discounting, but I also want you to realize that this isn't you, okay? This is a strategy. This is a, a, a reaction to a caregiver who you didn't have any, any other choices but to follow their lead, and you didn't have any other opportunities to learn how to be in relationship until it's already kind of kind of imprinted on you, you know? I mean, I was grateful for other families that I got to be around to see how, you know, other parents acted, but also I was only there as a guest, you know? I was only there as uh, an outsider looking in. I have no idea what it was like when when outsiders were not there and you were sitting at the dinner table and something went awry. <laughs> there could have been some other... Um, immature experiences on the parents' parts that I just said to myself, oh my gosh, these people are perfect. I wish I was like, you know, wish I was in their family. Nah, everybody's got some of this, but do not despair. Okay, are you ready for the truth list? Again, in no, no in particular order, I just started pulling these nuggets out as I was reading this. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> and so here's my, here's my soapbox. Setting a limit does not mean you do not love someone. You get to think of yourself. You are responsible for thinking of yourself and taking yourself into account because the other person is not able to do that. People may judge you, but you alone determine whether you feel guilty about something or not. You do not have to blindly accept the completely self-focused view of another person's situation. In other words, you get to have your view of the situation too. And if you do have your own view of the situation, that doesn't mean you're selfish or bratty or inconsiderate. It is up to you to decide what level of response is appropriate and makes sense to you. You are under no obligation to put another adult's needs ahead of your own. No one but you has the right to define what you are responsible for and obligated to follow through on. You have the right to take your time and consider whether you really want to help someone or not. You are not a bad person for wanting to think things through. You have a choice. There are always two ways of handling things. When two people are involved, each person is going to have their opinion about it. But you don't have to forfeit your choice or your option. You have the right to examine for yourself what other people think you should do. You don't have to solve the other person's hurt feelings for them. You have the right to ignore the criticisms and commentary from another person regarding your life choices. You do not have to explain how you think or feel. 
you do not have to include the emotionally immature person in your inter and in your inner world processing. Because <laughs> I know we do this. We think about how the other person is going to react and we want them to understand us. And so we explain ourselves. We don't have to do that. Okay, that's all for now. I've given you a lot to chew on. I'm going to drop out of this and go kind of do um, some dancing and shake this off because I'm telling you, sometimes, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to hear this. It's hard to experience some of those past memories again when you're thinking about how an interaction was one-sided, things like that. Um, Take some breaths, and um, I will see you for episode two next week. All right, friends. Peace out. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If this has been helpful for you, I'd so appreciate it if you could take a moment and just rate and review, and then others might be able to find us more easily. And please also share with friends that could use this information too. Okay, thanks again, and I look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future. Take care.